Books are a uniquely magical doorway beyond the things we know. Not only do they tell us that dragons exist, but they can be beaten and overcome. In today's charged atmosphere, books show us we're not alone. They help us understand our heartbreaks and joys. They connect us to others who feel and have felt the same. Books and reading allow us to live a thousand lives, sending us soaring into the world outside of ourselves, not to escape, but to survive. For it is often said that the greatest secrets seem to be found in the most unlikely places. Welcome to the podcast, Books Are Magical. Welcome back to another episode of Books Are Magical. I am Rachel, and with me today is the amazing Annalisha and Hannah, so we have the full complement, and we are going to be talking about She Who Became the Sun by Shelley Parker Chan, and Hannah is going to be the one who talks about this book, but the reason we're doing this book is because we also got the arc for He Who Drowned the World. And um, so we wanted to talk about the first book before we got into the second. But Annalisha is going to be the one who gives us some stats on this book. So Annalisha, what are our stats on She Who Became the Sun? All right. Thank you, Rachel. So this is book one in the Radiant Emperor series. It came out on July the 20th. 2021 and the Kindle edition has 416 pages and it currently has an average of 3.88 stars. I'm really excited to hear about this book because I have heard nothing but good things um, from friends who have read it. So here is the blurb from Goodreads. In a famine-stricken village on a dusty yellow plain, two children are given two fates, a boy, greatness, a girl, nothingness. In 1345, China lies under harsh Mongol rule. For the starving peasants of the Central Plains, greatness is something found only in stories. When the Zhu family's eighth-born son, Zhu Changba, is given a fate of greatness, everyone is mystified as to how it will come to pass. The fate of nothingness, received by the family's clever and capable second daughter, on the other hand, is only as expected. When a bandit attack orphans the two children, though, it is Zhu Changba who succumbs to despair and dies. Desperate to escape her own fated death, the girl uses her brother's identity to enter a monastery as a young male novice. There, propelled by her burning desire to survive, Zhu learns she is capable of doing whatever it takes, no matter how callous, to stay hidden from her fate. After her sanctuary is destroyed for supporting the rebellion against Mongol rule, Zhu uses the chance to claim another future altogether, her brother's abandoned greatness. Mulan meets the Song of Achilles, an accomplished poetic debut of war and destiny, sweeping across an epic alternate China. So Hannah, tell us all about this gem of a book. Well, I will say that phrase, Mulan meets the Song of Achilles, is absolutely the perfect description. You have gender bending with the main character as well as a few other characters. Gender really plays a huge part of the of this whole book. But then there's also the aspect of fate that's just completely interwoven from beginning to end. And so you have all these really kind of interesting layers that 
really you're encountering all throughout the book and it really is just carrying you forward. I will say I'm reading the paperback, which is only about 400 pages, but it is definitely smaller print on those pages. It feels <laughs> a little bit more like 500 pages. Yes, it's, a, it's <laughs> it doesn't look that thick, but it is thick. Um, it, it is definitely worth uh, all those pages, but I will say that because it said it 14th century China, it did take me some time to really like get settled into the culture. Um, I can't pronounce the names for the life of me. So it, it, there's definitely a little bit of hurdles there with trying to keep track of characters just because of how big it is. This book also has a lot of politics. It almost reminded me of Game of Thrones. Cool. Like there is little elements of fantasy. I think this book is um, marketed as historical fantasy. I really say like the fantasy is a very small portion of it. It really is more um, historical intrigue and politics and war. But then there's also, again, these like gender dynamics that are just set at the heart of it. So it's a really interesting mix that I definitely didn't anticipate. So this book is set in 14th century China. So at this point, China is ruled by the Mongols. All that they value is war and violence. So there's lots of little details throughout the book. There's a character who, you know, is part of the Mongol side who really wants to set them up um, to really be situated in China where he's like, Hey, we can take care of the land. We can farm. We can really establish an empire. And everyone else on the Mongol side is like, why? As long as we kill the people we need to, it doesn't matter. So you can really see where their values sit very, very easily. On the other side is the Nanren, Nanren people, um, which the main character is part of the Nanren people. So the people who are native to China. So they are under Mongol rule. The main character, Zhu, is the um, founding emperor of the Ming dynasty. So the one who actually overthrows the Mongol rule in China. And so this book reimagines Zhu's history as if they were born female and then chose to take the identity of a man and hmm. actually became the emperor of China. So it's a, I've never read any alternative history books before. This was a first for me, but it was really, really interesting. Um, so anyone who likes that kind of book, I say definitely give this one a try. So Zhu is a peasant girl. You said in the summary, her parents have eight children and most of them have not survived so far. The main character actually does not given a name at the beginning. So the only name that we learn that she gets is her brother's name. So we don't know who she was originally. She really is classified as nothing. She has no future. She has no fate. And when her brother comes of a certain age, her parents take the brother to a fortune teller who says, this one is destined for greatness. And then she sees the girl and said, this one will become nothing. And shortly after, the, the parents fall sick and die. And it's just the two of them left. They're trying to survive. She's trying to keep them alive by any means possible. And you really see that she's, you know, smart and that she's really has this instinct for survival where her brother does not. He's super spoiled. And when bandits get set upon them, she survives. And unfortunately, he dies. So she is the sole survivor of her family, a complete orphan with no one in the world. And at that point, when she's sitting by the graves of her family, she starts to see ghosts so she can see the ghosts of her family she can see ghosts all around her 
And this is something that's unique to just her. No, like, this is not a common thing. And it's not truly explained. Is it because all of her family died? Hmm. It almost is uh, portrayed as a fantastical element that she has this sort of spiritual ability to see the spirits of the deceased that other people can't. And they follow her. And that's mentioned all throughout the book. And so as she's sitting there, her family is gone. She has no name. She Her fate is that she's supposed to be nothing. She goes, this this can't be my life. I refuse to make it my life. I am going to claim my brother's fate. And in order to do that, she determines she has to make what she calls heaven. So like the God or whatever, mm-hmm. or the gods, see her as her brother. So she takes his name, she takes his identity, and she essentially lives as him for her entire lifetime. So to everyone else, the girl died along with the rest of the family, and she is Zoo the brother. So she is completely on her own surviving. She um, encounters this monastery um, as she's trying to survive, and one of the abbots takes pity on her. So she becomes a novice at the monastery and becomes a monk. And that entire time, she is living life as a male. You see just her constant paranoia of of getting found out, not only because she could get kicked out of the monastery, but also because she believes if she does anything that would portray her as female or that would show that she is actually born female, then heaven will realize she's not her brother mm. and will take that great fate away from her. So her at, for her, that big fate is her survival. She, she will do anything she can to be able to accomplish that great fate. And she truly, truly believes she is destined to for greatness and to move as high up as she can possibly go. So even though she started off as a peasant, she's now moved into the monk, which is still very low in terms of the like political system she has so much ambition and at that monastery she encounters another character named oh young which is the i would i don't know that i would call him a main character but he's the only other character that you read from his perspective so even though zu is technically the main character you're getting these two characters constantly And I really love the way that the author did this because they are on opposite sides of the war. So Zhu is on the Nenren side and Ouyang is on the Mongol side. Mm -hmm. And they both kind of exist in this other state in terms of gender. She was born female, living as a male. Mm -hmm. And he is actually born as a male. He actually has non-red blood, just like she does. But the Mongols killed off his entire family. They took him as a slave and they chopped off his penis. I don't know how else to describe that. That's, you know, not, you know, what it is. Mm-hmm. And so he becomes a eunuch and a slave. And so in the eyes of the Chinese culture at that time, if you don't have that genitalia, you weren't, even though you are technically born a man, you're not a man. Mm. So we have, another character who is born one gender, but is considered to be another one. So you have these two characters that are on opposite sides, but really are like parallels of each other. He, even though was taken as a slave, he serves the prince 
of the Mongol Empire and mm-hmm. ends up becoming a soldier and moving up with him to becoming a general. So he actually cool. has that he's actually moves very, very high up. But even though he's super high up, he has zero respect, zero power, only because he doesn't have a penis. Because that again makes him not a man. That and sucks. what's interesting, yeah, it's it's really messed up. And he's obviously like he's so bitter about it. And I mean, they don't make him forget it. Everywhere he goes, they call him the eunuch general. So even though he's won all these battles, he's accomplished these amazing things, he's still always just relegated down to his body and what he doesn't have. So he is full of bitterness, full of hate. And just pushes everyone away. His best friend is the prince of the Mongol Empire who, like, loves him as a friend, maybe a little bit more than a friend. And he actually has feelings for the prince, but he won't act on them because he's he hates himself. He hates everyone. And he's just, like, so ashamed of what he does not have. Mm. So... It's, it's really interesting that there's these parallels, but then these characters are so very different. So he, Ouyang, is very bitter, very unhappy. Zhu, on the other hand, her family has all been killed. She's living as a monk, she's living as a brother, but she's not bitter at all because she's constantly working towards something and she's seizing every single opportunity she can. As you're reading, I like I really started to like her a lot because I was like, she's super ambitious. She's a survivalist. Um, and you can see how smart and clever she is as she, you know, continues to, to move on. And she ends up joining, uh, these rebel cause to try to free China of Mongol rule. And you really start to see her shine more and more. And you really start to like her right about halfway through the book. After Zhu has risen up into the rebel army force and Ouyang is still basically just the same. He's still the eunuch general. They meet again and Zhu actually defeats him in battle. And that one action of her defeating him in battle basically kickstarts both of their fates. So at that mm. point, because she's done this thing that was absolutely incredible and no one thought she could do because she's a monk, she doesn't know how to fight she then becomes a polit like a like a political power and she starts like working with all the higher ups and so as she's rising he's shamed because he lost to a monk so he's being you know downplayed and he's bringing on shame she's trying to achieve her fate he goes, well, at this point, I'm never going to get ahead. I'm never going to be able to get the respect that I deserve. So I'm going to accept my fate, which is to take revenge on the people who killed my family and to destroy the Mongol Empire. Wow. So, yeah, you have so very, very intense characters with very intense feelings. And after this, like, one pivotal moment, you start to see that things aren't very simple because Zhu starts making decisions that you're like, that maybe wasn't the right decision. Like she's using this ambition of, I have to achieve my fate. I have to be the greatest to justify all these actions that you're just like, ah, 
like I'm like you're still kind of rooting for her because like you want her to survive. You've been with her all this way. At the same time, you're like, uh, that's not good, and this is not good. And on the other side, you're seeing Oh Young, and you you want him so badly to be able to accept himself and to be able to have happiness and joy, and he's just going down a super dark path at the same time. So it just becomes more and more convoluted and complex and. I don't I don't want to give too much away past that because it's it's really going to like spoil all the endings but it just it you just feel like you're sitting on a ball that's just like rolling down a hill of all these different events and you're just like oh my gosh what is going to happen like you you feel like somehow one of these two main characters is going to like kill each other or die and you're just along for the ride and wow. it's really intense um there were parts where I was like this was a a little long it could have been shortened but i feel like once you reach that that pivotal moment everything just starts to really take off so i i actually had originally started this book last year when we first picked it up Alicia on barnes and noble i started reading it immediately mm-hmm. i got into the first 100 pages and went kind of a slow start i'm just gonna put it away and i'll come yeah. back to it and i'm very glad that i did because once you get to ask about page 150 it's just like you just go in from there so if for readers if you pick this up just know it might be a little slow at the beginning but it's absolutely worth it i i really liked how complex the characters are and that you can just see them becoming more and more i guess morally gray is the word i would use over time there's really only one character that i would say is like actually truly good and after a certain point, I realized I was more rooting for her than anybody else. Um, but I'm happy that I have that good character to root for. Um, there, There is a little bit of spice in the book. Um, there's a lot of violence in the book. So just just be aware if, if either of those things are something you're not interested in reading. The violence isn't told necessarily in excruciating detail, but like there's someone who described as um, their skin is... Uh, flayed off their body and it's just like okay that happens and then we move on and you're like uh, all right I, I guess this is just normal but it's I mean it's it's the Mongol Empire they were super violent so I get it it's really interesting to see these the two characters just constantly kind of at odds with each other even though they're technically from the same background the same people they actually have the same kind of goal but they're at odds with each other. And one is just hell-bent on revenge and one is hell-bent on ambition. And you just like, you don't quite know who you want to win. You kind of want both, but neither of them can. Yeah. It's really, really interesting. Is there, do you guys have any questions for me? Because I feel like I've just been talking nonstop. I just want to say, I'm super excited to hear about He Who Drowned the World because it, what was what was the the guy's the the male general's name? Oh, oh young. Oh young. Mm-hmm. I'm really while of course Sue, I, I'm interested in her journey, but I'm really fascinated by this um oh young character. Yeah, you you get the feeling that I mean he's had so many bad things happen to him that he's just been put in this insanely unhappy situation and it's like you just want one good thing to happen to him. You just, you want happiness. And um, I, I really, really want to see what happens in book two for him. Cause I mean, for, for Zoo, 
it, I mean, it's not really a spoiler. The she essentially becomes the emperor of of China because that is again, this is an alternative his, historical book. So you're you're following along in her journey, but Ouyang is one that I'm like, I don't actually know how he ends up, and I'm really interested to see where we get with him. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he is the he and he who drowned the world. But I guess we'll find out mm. here in a couple of weeks. I was gonna <laughs> say, I was gonna say the same thing as I was wondering if that's where we're gonna get that second kind of like perspective, and we're gonna start getting into that story really deeply. Yeah, I. Cannot wait to see what that book has in store for us. So so I'm just wondering about this fortune teller that got everything apparently so incredibly wrong at the very beginning. <laughs> of, like, why did we trust them? Like, why did we feel like, you know what, they, they were like going to get this right? And because this girl is apparently killing it. And <laughs> well, it's it's really interesting because there are. I mean, the the fortune teller did assign that great fate. She saw it for the name Zhu Changba. But again, mm. the girl takes that name. And there's little moments where she she makes decisions. And she does things that she, real, she stops and realizes, my brother wouldn't have known to do this. My brother wouldn't know how to do this. And she panics. She goes, oh, my gosh. Heaven is going to realize that I'm not Zhu. And then my fate is ruined. So she's constantly like looking over her shoulder, like second guessing every single move because she's so worried that if heaven figures out that she is not him, that the fortune teller is going to be right. She is going to be nothing because that fate was not meant for her. But it's it's a really interesting thought because it's it's different from like the Christian perspective where heaven or God is like all knowing. So in theory, mm-hmm. like God would know that. And instead it's like, no, like heaven is only vaguely watching is sort of the the mm-hmm. perspective that you get. And there's pivotal moments in the book where sh- they describe like the sun coming out or like something happening is miraculous when you go, okay, heaven is really watching me now. So it really is like, in, in their mind, you have to do something great to get heaven's attention. Mm-hmm. So it's like heaven, heaven is just vaguely aware of her. So she has to stay under the radar while also trying to get, move her fate forward. So it's, yeah, it's uh, not something I've ever seen before in any other book. I'm just, it just really makes me think of an Oedipus Rex, like the Oracle of Delphi is like, Mm -hmm. hey, you know, your kid's going to kill you and then marry your wife. And so they toss them off the (laughs) side of the mountain, but they don't, you know, and everything that they foretold happens. A self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Yeah. And so as as soon as you were telling me about this fortune teller, I was like, is this going to be an Oedipus Rex situation? Not the whole (laughs) killing your dad, doing your mom part. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, where maybe, maybe the fortune teller in a weird way saw that she was going to become Sue. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, the fortune teller is only brought up at the beginning. And then it's just like, chasing after the fate the whole time so i'm um, i mean who knows maybe the fortune teller will come back in book two and be like well i'm i'm giving up my job <laughs> really i can't do it <laughs> gonna see her as an apple seller later <laughs> <laughs> um 
there is one quote that I did want to share, which is actually told from the perspective of someone who uh, is part of the rebel army with Zoo. Mm-hmm. And I marked it just because it shows that people are start to realize that Zoo's not what she seems on the outside like she's she's a monk but she's obviously doing these great things she's becoming like a military leader and it also kind of shows again that like you have to be careful and don't just take people at face value so the the character who's talking about zoo says he didn't need to fight to win Don't underestimate him because he's a monk. What someone is means nothing about what the kind of person they are. Truth is in actions. And if we consider actions, that monk killed 10,000 men in an instant. So what does that make him? Before Yuchun could find his voice, Zhao answered himself, someone to be careful of. So, yeah, you get little bits of people going, this doesn't necessarily add up. Yeah. And, uh. I, I kind of get the feeling that some of those decisions and actions are going to come to bite Zoo in the butt in the second book. So and maybe maybe she will become quote unquote that nothing because you can't escape your fate. Like what if you know kind of mm-hmm. like how Oedipus tried to? I don't know. Yeah. I'm really invested now in the storyline. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got the book. You got to start it. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. I, I wish I could do Sabrina the Teenage Witch and just freeze time, but alas. I Osmosis. Slapping <laughs> <laughs> the book. Sleep with this book under my pillow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if only that were true, my TBR would be empty, but you know. oh that's pretty much all i had to share unless y'all have any more questions about this book no i think it's a phenomenal read i think i might have to dive into it especially now that we have the second one already like teed up and ready to go uh i didn't i you know um apparently you two knew about this book series i just when we got the second one i didn't even realize there was a first one so now i'm already invested and now i have to go read the first one to catch up with you two <laughs> yes you need to get the same um same copy you know the floppy mm-hmm. paperback i love the floppiness of this book i i also love the cover of it it gave so me pretty. it reminded me of mulan so much just from yeah. that cover mm-hmm. I yes. like it. You need to go across the Barnes and Noble and get your matching copy. And then our, our um, bookshelves will be in simpatico. <laughs> I like it. I can do that. Awesome. Well, listeners, until next time, may your TBR be overflowing and your DNS be few. And may your reading adventures always take you to new horizons. Thank you for joining us on this journey. And we'll see you on the next page.